todo el mundo. Was really... 1881. What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Stacey Lane Wilson, author of the Rock and Roll Nightmares book series and director of the film The Ventures Stars on Guitars. You are listening to the Rock and Roll Nightmares podcast for people who love music from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And now, on to the show. Today I have a co-host, Kurt Lambert, author of the short story, Long Ghoul Woman in a Black Dress, which appears in volume two of the book series, Do You Fear Like We Do, the 70s edition. Hello, Kurt. Hello, lovely and talented Stacey Lane Wilson. Uh, well, it's good to have you here. Um, Great to be here. We have been friends for a long time and collaborated on many things, so this is just yet another feather in our cap. I love working in your projects. I've always been grateful for you casting me or including me or inviting me to be parts of things. So thank you. Thank you. And I appreciate your perspective. And, um, you know, I want to kind of talk a little bit about how we both love older music. Um, and there is a song by Bob Seger called Old Time Rock and Roll, um, you know, where he's kind of lamenting the lost soul of older music but he wrote that in 1978 <laughs> and but now nostalgia is bigger than ever and we you know we have gen z loving the music of the 80s so i'm wondering why in your learned opinion is music not as appreciated in its own time well you know i was thinking about this uh, earlier um i think because when we're all living our lives like our, our teenage our 20s maybe our early 30s years we're roaring through life we're digging the music uh, but we're like life is just rolling by us and we're in life and we're we're swimming through it and I, I think we just maybe don't even take the time or we're just experiencing something new every day and every day and then I think as we get a little older and life gets maybe a little rougher or we've had our bumps and our ups and our downs and we I think we we there's an I don't know a natural inclination in humans to kind of reminisce and to get nostalgic and we look back and uh, I mean I know for everyone but for me uh, of course strongly music can just put me in a place and that can be a good memory or a bad memory but it can put me in a place instantly by by uh, hearing a song I mean it's like a sense memory like you know which is like an acting thing but it's what music is all about I think it touches our heart and being a hopeless romantic it puts me back in so many places where I'm going ah. <laughs> but um yeah I, I i think we 
I don't know. I think because it touches us it, while we're going through it, maybe we don't realize how much it actually is integrating inside of us, getting part of becoming part of our soul. And yeah, our, I, I think you bring up a good point because, you know, unlike movies that we may have seen when we were kids or books that we read when we were younger, that's a very um, solitary kind of one-on-one -on -one relationship with that book or that movie, but a song can be playing while you're with other people and doing things. And I feel like it infiltrates our emotions more because of that. Oh, definitely. I mean, I, every time I hear a Steely Dan song, it doesn't really matter which one, but especially Deacon Blues, but all of them, I'm back with a whole, my whole group of my guys, the guys I ran around with in high school and college because uh, those Steely Dan songs just take me right there with those, that group of guys, five or six of us, you know, so. Yeah, that's a, it's, it really is special. Um, and, uh, you know, our guest today is the producer of a documentary about the famous recording studio, Air Montserrat, which was overseen by George Martin, Sir George Martin, I should say, um, who's perhaps most famous for producing the Beatles. And, you know, we all have Beatles memories, um, which I think in line with your short story, because both celebrate the vinyl record. So in Long Ghoul Woman, you explore the possibility that a record can be haunted. So I'm wondering how you came up with that idea. Long live vinyl. I still play tons, <laughs> of, tons of vinyl. I have stacks of it. Um, well, the story you, you, you gave your writers that you were inviting to be a part of this, you gave a lot of uh, song titles that played off of uh, real rock and roll records. And the one that kind of grabbed me was Long Ghoul Woman in a Black Dress. And not, I mean, I like that song, but it wasn't because that song was really long, cool woman in a black dress by the Hollies was that special to me at all. But being a writer, for some reason, it instantly kind of grabbed me with my imagination of, I instantly thought, oh, yeah, there's going to be, you know, some kind of a, a spirit or a demon woman, you know, and uh, I'm an old disc jockey from way back. I worked at a lot of, you know, a handful of uh, FM stations back in the Midwest. So I was into the vinyl and I thought, oh, let's, you know, I worked late graveyard shifts and things when you're all alone and you're really feeling the music and the lights are low in the studio and there's nobody there but you. And I, I and then you gave me the idea. We, I bounced that off of you and you said, oh, I bet she can, she can come out of the record. And I thought, yes, she can come out <laughs> of the record. And uh, so I just thought, I instantly just thought, oh, there's going to be like a, a tornado cloud coming up out of the record. And it's, you know, because I think music is haunted. I think we are haunted by music. In fact, Carly Simon in the seventies had a great song on her 78, You Belong to Me record. That album called uh, Haunting. There's always someone haunting someone, you know? And I think there's always, for me, there's always a song that'll be haunting me. You know, I'll, I think we all, we're all that way probably when a song will Go through, we'll go through a week or two when some song, it's not really an earworm, but some songs kind of like haunting us or haunting our, an, a, a, a life memory. So I just thought I wanted to play as a tribute to my DJ days, disc jockey days and radio and with vinyl and with your suggestion of an evil, evil spirit in the record. And, and so uh, if folks read the, read the story, uh, uh, the disc jockey, uh, Johnny Handsome is uh, visited by a, by a demon who comes out of that record. Uh -huh. I love the visual that you paint, painted with your story with, you know, she kind of rises up out of the vinyl like a genie from a bottle and it's, it's all very interesting. And I feel like the visuals 
were perhaps informed by your other life as an actor. We should mention that. Maybe let people know what films they can see you in now before we bring our guest on. Okay, well, great, thank you. Yes, uh, well, right now uh, on Amazon and a lot most other streaming places, you can watch Promise, which is a Western, and I play a villain, but he's kind of a, uh, it's a serious film, but he's kind of, he's got some humor in him too. He's an interesting guy named Wild Eye. Um, they can see that, and they, uh, I've got several films on Amazon and other streaming. Uh, we, I work with uh, a lot with a mutual friend of ours, uh, Mark Allen Michaels, as a director, uh, writer, and uh, his film Valentine Days, which you produced, mm -hmm. uh, is, is on uh, Amazon, and The Fiance, which you also produced with Mark, uh, for yeah. Mark, uh, that's on there. And, and he puts uh, you through the bloody ringer on those. Talk about nightmares. <laughs> yes, I do. I have. I. I never want to get out of an, a van in the dark anymore. After you, you see Valentine's Day, you'll know why. Um, but uh, so yeah, so I got that going, and you know, I, I think a lot of things are going well. Well, um, uh, got some things coming up, uh, some some westerns, and hopefully some other things. All right. Well, thanks, Kurt, and let's bring on our guest. Great. Our guest today is Cody Greenwood, the producer and co-writer of the fantastic 2021 documentary Under the Volcano. I reviewed the film for We Live Entertainment, and I must say I loved it, and I learned a lot. Um, so much of the music that was the soundtrack of my life as a kid in the 80s, like the Police's Synchronicity, Duran Duran's Rio, uh, Dire Straits Brothers in Arms, um, those albums were all recorded on a remote tropical island called Montserrat and um, overseen by the legendary record producer, Sir George Martin. So hello, Cody, and welcome to the Rock and Roll Nightmares podcast. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Hi, Cody. Um, well, I saw an interview with you where you said that your mom was an artist living in Montserrat in the 1970s and your dad... Uh, so your dad that actually had the Stevie Wonder recording from the local bar that you used in the film up in his attic, and we hear that mm -hmm. in the movie. Um, so it seems this project was kind of predestined for you. Um, what was the final push that made you decide to take the plunge? Yeah, I had always grown up knowing the stories of Montserrat. I've been to Montserrat, you know, probably about 10 times throughout my childhood and loved the island. Um, but what the final push was there was a guy who's in the film his name is Malcolm Atkin and he's the technical engineer and he was the technical engineer of Air Studios in London as well he was in Fremantle Western Australia which is where I'm from and having dinner with my parents and I joined them for this dinner and he was telling a great story about Paul McCartney and I, I turned to him and I said you know has anybody ever made a film about this the studio has such an incredible history and he said, yeah, you know, well, there was a few teams that tried and, and nobody so far has been able to make it happen. And so I guess it was kind of that challenge that really inspired me to, to take the plunge and then, um, you know, sort of kickstarted a chain of events, which was, you know, dealing with Sir George Martin's estate and, and, and then financing the film and then moving through to production. Wow. Well, I watched it last night, Cody, and I loved it too. Uh, oh, learned, thank you. I learned a lot. Um, I have kind of a love-hate relationship with the 80s and a, the, all this music mm -hmm. and seeing these people, uh, the groups and the artists down there and your film just kind of made me uh, 
get warm and fuzzy about them a little more than I have been lately. So that's, that was, that was really nice. <laughs> you know, the stories, it's really close to you and your family and, and uh, that you've been there 10 times is, is amazing before, I guess, growing up or in your, your uh, earlier days. But surprisingly, you're not the director. Uh, you're the producer and the writer. And mm -hmm. what made you choose Gracie Otto uh, for the job of directing and to be a, a collaborator on this? Yeah, it was a bit of a process to find a director because, um, I, you know, I'd done this Sting interview in New York. We did that a year and a half before we started production. Um, and that was with an amazing director called Crystal Moselle, who directed The Wolfpack. And she segment directed that, but I needed an Australian director for this project because our funding had come through the Australian system. And so um, we ended up, you know, I wanted a female because this is a very male dominated period of music history. Uh, so that was really important to me. And Gracie had done a film called The Last Impresario, which is a fantastic documentary about a theatre producer called Michael White. So she'd work with celebrity, she'd work with archive, um, and she had a lot of energy, which I do also. And so we were kind of, you know, it's always a risk when you start a creative partnership with somebody. But with Gracie, I got really lucky and we just had the most amazing time making this film. Yeah, you really did. And, you know, as you said, it really is a, a, a male dominated world music, especially, you know, decades ago. Um, mm -hmm. I, you know, I made a music documentary myself about my dad's band, The Ventures, and it was hard for me to find women to include, um, you know, but you do have clips of Annie Lennox in the movie and your crew. Um, was it almost all female? I mean, tell me a little bit about how you got the mix of different you know, genders, races, ages, not just the elder statement, A-list male musicians to tell the story. And how did you do that? Yeah, this film was a bit of a tricky one for me personally, because my slate of films, you know, my, my all the films I have in development are always with diverse directors. I pretty much primarily work with female directors. And then I came into the world of Under the Volcano and it was completely male dominated. Um, so, that was a real challenge and we tried to get Annie Lennox and the other person who recorded down there was Sheena Easton uh -huh. and we couldn't get either of them um so I do think that the film is very reflective of that time in music history as I said it was about very male dominated but with the people itself the people of Montserrat it was always my intention that they should have equal weight to the musicians in the film um and I'd said that to Gracie all through development but I don't think she realized until we filmed those people just how wonderful the people of Montserrat were I remember her turning to me after that first interview with the um bartender and she just said oh they've got to be front and center in this film they're just so fantastic and so I hope that it does come across you know that there is equal weight between the rock stars and the local people of Montserrat but yeah the, the women were definitely hard so we made sure that we had females in all the key creative roles of the film which was really important to me yeah and I appreciate that well, you definitely, you definitely did, and and that's one thing that was surprising to me, or that I didn't realize or didn't know, but was how much a part the people of the island were to that studio, mm. and how how integrated and how close knit they became with the artists and the artists with them. It was uh, it was really really kind of a cool magical thing to find out about. Um, you know, there's a lot of different ways to make a documentary. Uh, Stacy knows them. You know them. Uh, you know a lot of the. Uh, tried and true formats like archival footage and interviews and 
old and new and still photos. I mean, was that how you intended the film from the get-go or did it kind of take on that life in the editing room? Yeah, you know, there are so many different ways to make documentaries nowadays with, you can have talking heads as we call it, which is traditional, how under the volcano is, or you could have somebody talking in voiceover over archive. We wanted to go down the, the traditional route with this film um, because we just felt like it was, a, it's, it hopefully will be a bit of a classic documentary. Um, and we wanted to film in people's homes. And so it felt really intimate, but we realized along the way that that wasn't always possible because we were dealing with, you know, some of the biggest rock stars in the world and they didn't want us shooting in their houses. Um, and, I, you know, I really love that we went for that traditional style. But one thing that became apparent in the edit was that everybody looks so different from they did in the 80s so you know you have Mike Knopfler on screen now and he looks completely different than he did in the archival um, photographs and footage and so we'd have to make sure that whenever somebody was on screen their name would come up because oh, <laughs> I don't yeah, think that's a good idea. realized how different everybody would look you know all these years later so that was that was that was a bit of a challenge. <laughs> yes, Nigel Olsen looks quite a bit different. <laughs> yes, that was, yes, that he was does. great. Uh, you know, he reminded me of Charlie Watts, these two drummers from great bands that seemed to be these, mm. they were like these classic, well-dressed, uh, you know, gentlemen, you know, nowadays. Yeah. It was pretty wild. Pretty wild. Well, you know, that surprised me on, on like you just said, how physically different some of them mm. look. And uh, some things that surprised me also was uh, that uh, Elton John and his band, you know, how quickly they were writing things. They showed up mm -hmm. with nothing and like they turned, um, I guess that's why they call it the blues uh, so quickly. And I was really surprised mm -hmm. to find out where Elton got the impetus for I'm Still Standing. <laughs> <laughs> out, out of a reclining uh, cloud of uh, marijuana smoke, which was pretty funny. Yeah. Um, but what was something that really surprised you as you dug into this and, and was making making the film? Were, yeah, were I was really also surprised? Yeah, there's a few things. I was also really surprised by Elton's writing process. You know, like you said, that's why they call it the blues. That was 20 minutes of them sitting around um, a pool. And I wasn't a massive Elton John fan before. Now I am huge, a huge fan of his and I, and I really respect him as an artist. But I think, um, you know, it was re just really great to find out about all the different processes of different bands, how they come together. You look at the police, they had a totally different process than somebody like Elton John. But I was probably, you know, I was really surprised with the history of the island and the people of Montserrat as well, because, you know, this is, it was a bit of a hard film to make because we have all these guys coming down to the Caribbean in the 80s. And then there was this island that was destroyed and people's homes were destroyed. And, and balancing that out um, was really, really tricky for us um, because, you know, end of the day, it was a music dock, but this island was devastated. So what I was really surprised about is how positive the people of Montserrat are about this volcano. Um, there is one guy in the film, John Silcott, who says, you know, I hate the volcano. And he felt very strongly about it. But majority of the people that we interviewed said, you know, it is what it is and 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 they don't mourn the past which is actually quite similar to George Martin who says in the film you know everything has a period in time they all kind of share that sentiment and I wasn't expecting that I was really expecting to sort of go in and and it be really emotional for them but um 
it was more emotional for the musicians <laughs> than the people of Montserrat. They've kind of accepted it and um, they, you know, still living a beautiful life down that island. Well, that was very emotional for me, that moment you just mentioned when Sir George Martin said every everything has its its time or its period. And I, as I was watching last night, that just, that kind of hit me, you know, so. Yeah. Nice moment there. Yeah, it's yeah. really uh, uh, beautifully told and eloquently told. And I, like you said, you, you know how you kind of tie in the story of the island with the musicians and it does have an arc, you know, where how the mm. hurricane destroys the island and then the volcano finally erupted in the 90s after the studio was gone. Mm. And um, those are some real rock and roll nightmares. But in keeping <laughs> with the title of this podcast, I'm wondering what your own personal rock and roll nightmare would be. Oh, I said this so many times when we were making <laughs> You this got film. it down to a science. Yeah, that my nightmare would be being stuck on the on an island with the police. I cannot <laughs> think of anything worse, honestly. And my, you know, they're all quite good family friends of mine. Andy, we're Andy Summers, a guitarist, we're particularly close to, and and but just I had to pour through so much footage of them arguing <laughs> throwing water oh, at each other and I just I, I turned to my mum one day and I said how did you hang out with these guys I would have gone absolutely bonkers so I think um yeah the police on a, on a remote Caribbean island would be my idea of a nightmare yeah well well maybe uh, Elton John <laughs> was onto something with that cloud of pot smoke maybe that's yeah, how he dealt with yeah. It. <laughs> exactly well how can people find and watch Under the Volcano, which I highly recommend. In fact, I was recommending it to a buddy to this morning, so. Oh, great. Yeah, there's a website called undertheVolcanoMovie.com. And if you go onto that website, um, you can type in where you are in the world, or your country, and then it will list the places that you can find it, which makes it really easy. So that's undertheVolcanoMovie.com. Brilliant. Thanks, great. Cody. Cool. Thank you so much for having me on. Really great to chat with you and good luck with your future endeavors. I'll be watching. Thank you very much. Really and appreciate it. And I will too. It. It's a great, great to talk with you. As always, before I close the show, I'm going to share a paragraph from one of the Rock and Roll Nightmares books. This is an excerpt from the nonfiction edition and the chapter is Been Caught Stealing. This has to be the most ridiculous lawsuit ever launched in music history. In 1985, Former Credence Clearwater Revival leader John Fogarty signed up as a solo artist with Warner Brothers and released the album Centerfield, which yielded two top 10 singles. The second of these, The Old Man Down the Road, was classic Fogarty with that signature Bayou guitar sound. Fantasy Records exec Saul Zantz, who owned the rights to some Credence Clearwater Revival songs, thought it was a little too classic Fogarty, claiming the tune was a direct ripoff of Run Through the Jungle. Of course, both songs were written by the same person, John Fogarty. Despite this fact, Zance decided he had the perfect plagiarism suit on his hands and decided to prosecute Fogarty for ripping off a Fogarty song. The fortunate son brought his guitar into the courtroom and played both songs back to back, demonstrating the key differences. He won the case and even managed to countersue for his legal fees.
This concludes another episode of Rock and Roll Nightmares. I'm your host, Stacey Lane Wilson. The theme song, Out for Blood, is composed and sung by Lars with a Z, Cabot, and the band is Fuzzbuster. You can hear the whole track in the horror comedy film Valentine Days, also with a Z. For photos of the guests and show archives, please visit the website rockandrollthings.com. That's rock and roll with an N. You can also join the Rock and Roll Nightmares Facebook group or follow us on Instagram at Rock and Roll Nightmares Books. That's B O O K S. This is an indie podcast, so your subscriptions and ratings are really important. Thank you for joining me, and until next time. <laughs>